Ten Boom swings and launches one to deep right center field. Filet going back. It's up there. It's out there, and it's gone. A home run. Anthony Bamboom with a three-run blast, and the Bees take the lead at 10-8. Rondo has the ball in his hands. Cousins pops up. They're looking for DeMarcus. Have to go to Rudy. Rudy now drives it right. Pulls up to win it, and he does. Now, the Jazz don't have a timeout. They've got to go the length of the floor. Desperate heave for the win off the top of the backboard. No good from deep backcourt, and Sacramento dodges the bullet. Gasol turns the basket. Rejected by Whiteside again. And that's 12, and that's the ball game. What a way to end. The final score, Miami 96, the Bulls 84, and he is officially a blocking machine, Hassan White. Conley waiting for a Gobert pick, guarded by Brooks. Right side to Bogdanovich, bounces back to Conley, through the lane, lobs to Rudy, slam dunk. Mike Conley comes off a pick, fires the three on the right side, and hits another. Mike Conley's got six three-pointers tonight, bringing back memories for the fans in the house of Mike Conley at his vintage Memphis Grizzlies stage. Well, good. It was good just to be out there and not have masks on and, and all that stuff that uh, we dealt with over the past year. And so it was a uh, spirited practice, as you'd expect, on day one. Uh, got a lot of guys that are that are back from injuries that appear to be all the way back and healthy. Cam Rising being one of those guys. And so uh, a lot of positive things, but we got a lot of work to do. we got 24 practices to, to get it done in. So we got our work cut out for us. I mean, you can see how much could take place in a year improvement. I mean, Zach went from really not being known in the football world to second pick in the NFL draft and starting quarterback right now. So that's exciting that these guys know him and they've been here with him and seen the progress that he's made and they've seen the commitment that he's had, especially in the last year. And so a lot of them are, are understanding that it could be done. That's something that's encouraging to them. They can see what happened with Dax and others. And so I think there's an eagerness to be the, the next one up. Welcome into the Saturday show. Hope y'all are doing great out there up and down the Wasatch Front. Yakim Lundy along for the ride. Alex Lundberg, Jay Catch. Jeff Carroll behind the glass today. His debut, by the way, Jeff, welcome in. You're a new guy to the, to the zone. Thanks for uh, stopping by to produce for us today. How are you? Can't hear you, but give another shot in a minute. But Lundy, how are you, sir? <laughs> you know, I'm feeling pretty good. It's been a... It's been a good week. We're uh, just a hair closer to college football, and I'm starting to to feel it. You know, I'm, I'm, we're three Saturdays away. Man, it is basically all I can think about. It keeps me awake at night. <laughs> well, there you go. But I hope you all are doing great out there. The weather, or I guess the the smoke is what I should say here along the Wasatch Front is absolutely awful. Uh, some good news, though. Apparently, we're only number three in the world's rankings of worst air currently. That's always oh. positive. Apparently, there's making uh, progress. I-, I saw this. Apparently, there's a city in Russia right now that their air quality is something like 1100, whereas Salt Lake City, we're like 155. They have wildfires all around them, apparently. So. Yeah, so anyways, uh, a lot of you probably are inside or driving around trying to avoid inhaling the smoke. So thanks for taking the time to join us. We're here every Saturday from 12 to 2, uh, talking all things sports here on the Zone Sports Network. And Lundy, of course, we start out the show with what we call what's uh, what's the big deal. That's kind of what we've termed it. Well, there's two big things this week, honestly. And let's start off on the jazz front, because, of course, we are the exclusive broadcast home of the Utah Jazz here on the Zone Sports Network. Free agency has played out. Uh, We can officially talk about this without having to preface it by saying, according to media reports. No, we can actually talk about it. They've all been announced. Uh, Hassan Whiteside, Rudy Gay, both sign as free agents here with the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley re-signs with the Jazz. And Eric Pascal just coming in right before we went live. That trade is officially official, so he is now a member of the Utah Jazz. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to start on that front? I mean, I want to. The, the first thing that comes to mind for me uh, is, you know, prior to all of this, you know, Justin Zanuck had talked about we're going to be making moves we're going to be doing things prepare to see the jazz spend at levels we've never seen them spend before and I didn't really know what that was going to look like and with the Derek Favors move to kind of unload some of that salary I kind of was like okay 
that seems a little bit more like lip service. Like maybe it'll be a little bit more spending, but it's probably not going to be drastically different. No, the Jazz have really opened the pocketbook here. Uh, I, I think that we're seeing the effects of, you know, new ownership with Ryan Smith being a lot more willing to spend and to go out and get the guys that they feel like they need. And so I, I'm very interested by the moves. I mean, first off, signing Mike Conley is massive. Sure, yeah. That, you know, that that was priority number one, and they did it. And so great move by the Jazz there. I'm also, I mean, I don't know about you, but both both the Rudy Gay and the Hassan Whiteside moves came as a bit of a surprise to me. I did not really expect either of those names to be on the back of Jazz jerseys. Okay, here's the thing, though. I I have come in the last three to four years with this Utah Jazz front office to think that there's names they're going to get. They, when they signed Joe Johnson, I about fell on the floor. And I get that Joe Johnson at that point in his career was very much kind of in the same vein of a guy like Rudy Gay, where he's right. on the ba- very much the back end of his run. But the fact that Joe Johnson, Joe Jesus, as some people called him, the silent superstar, was coming mm-hmm. to Utah, I about fell out of my chair. I'm like, they got that guy to come here? Yeah. And maybe it's just me having grown up here in this state and just always thinking of Utah as the quote-unquote backwater of the NBA and whatnot. I think what we're seeing from this is this team's starting to emerge, and I think players, is, and I, Patrick Kinahan reiterates this point time and time again on DJ and PK, that Players, they're smart. They know where good teams are at. They know where good situations are at. And I think that the signings, like you mentioned, a guy like Hassan Whiteside or Rudy Gay, they're smart enough to look at it and say, okay, that team was really close. Maybe I can go in and be that difference. Right, yeah. And to your point, you know, I mean, even a few years ago when the the Jazz went out and got Boyan Bogdanovich, right, that Mm -hmm. was – I wouldn't say that it was like a, you know, a massive, like, earth-shaking name, but it was a name that – like you growing up in this market and knowing who the Jazz have been in the past and still kind of attributing that label to them, it was a bigger name than I expected at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. And, you know, to borrow what now running Ute head coach Craig Smith has said since taking that job, yeah. you know, what don't we have? Because if you look around, the Jazz really have been making this a destination spot. Sure, it's still a small market. But we're seeing it become a lot more of an appealing small market where players that in the past wouldn't have even considered Utah, I think they're looking at it and saying, okay, I can make decent money. There's a great community there, you know, where I'm going to be involved. There's a very passionate fan base. Yes. Which, you know, some jazz fans are as rabid as they come. Right. And, you know, sometimes we're on, you know, we see the jazz fans show up on the bad side of that, but we, I think that there needs to be attention given to how that is really a benefit for this team because the players all this season, this past season, we heard nothing but it's so great to have the fans back. It's so great to have, you know, this is really what we do it for. And when you have a fan base like the Utah Jazz, players know what this fan base is like. And I do think that that's something that they'll look at and say, if I can have them cheering for me instead of against me, that's a big bonus. Like, that's that's something that I... You know, I if I were a player, I would absolutely take that into consideration and put that in the cons or in the in the pros list, not in the cons list, where you could say, I can turn one of the most raucous and rowdy, passionate fan bases into my fan base, and they're the ones that I I fuel and feed off of their energy. Um, you know, I know that there's you know good facilities. They've been you know kind of remodeling that player entrance right after. Ryan Smith purchased the arena. Yep. Um, Donovan's talked about how it feels a lot more Hollywood. It does. It really. It, yeah. I mean, they roll out the red carpet for them. Literally. There's a red carpet when they walk, you know, and so it's the kind of thing that, yeah, growing up here, we look at the Jazz and we think it's a, a small market team where there's not really that much flash or pizzazz. And I don't think that's actually really the case anymore. I think players look at it and go, this is a cool place. This is a really awesome location and organization and fan base and program. So, yeah, if they're willing to pay me, then why wouldn't I go there? What don't they have? 
that that's the thing, and I think a guy like Ryan Smith has come in as the new owner, and he he is he is dead set on making sure that the Utah Jazz are going to be a force in the NBA. You mentioned the fact that Justin Zanuck said that they're going to spend at levels that they've never spent at before. That should be encouraging if you're a Utah Jazz fan. And I I look at these two signings, and just, let's look at the two signings, the two free agent signings. The Mike Conley deal. Absolutely huge. He's an all-star. Yeah. You weren't going to replace him if you were to see him walk. I think it's a great job by the, that front office to get him to come back. But let's talk about the two actual outright signings, bringing Hassan Whiteside in in addition to Rudy Gay. I think these two fill holes in the Utah Jazz lineup that we saw exposed last year. And let me preface this by saying this is nothing against Derek Favors. He right. was one of the consummate Jazz men. He was just an absolutely beloved figure. Seeing him leave, yeah, it sucks, honestly. But no. it, just, yeah. it was a casualty of how the salary cap was functioning. Hassan Whiteside comes in and is essentially Rudy Gobert light in my mind. Yeah, A defensive force who has been very good at different points in his career. For his career, he's averaged 2.3 blocks per game. Like He's been very, very good on the defensive side of the of the basketball, he comes in, and we know Rudy Gobert is going to play. By the way, congrats to Rudy in France winning silver last night. Joe Ingles winning a bronze. Australia's first medal ever. First medal ever in basketball. Pretty cool. It's awesome. To see both those guys go win boomers. medals. Yeah, go Boomers. Uh, Team USA, of course, on top. Right. Yeah, As but, expected. But a guy like Hassan Whiteside comes in. We're going to expect Rudy Gobert is going to play between 36 and 40 minutes a night. Well, you got to fill in that 8 to 14 minutes well, I think Hassan Whiteside slides in nicely. And you may even be able to lessen Rudy Gobert's minutes a little bit with a guy like Hassan Whiteside as his primary backup. Yeah, keep him fresh. Keep you know that that adds longevity to his regular season if you yep. can keep his legs fresh. Um, well, and you know one of the interesting pieces for that with me was it was what just a few years ago that Damian Lillard had called. Hassan Whiteside, the best center in the NBA, and it, I know that it ruffled Jazz fans' feathers and it ruffled <laughs> Rudy Gobert's feathers. Well, guess what? Now they're playing side by side. They say team them up. So you know, you, if there is any de- debate as to who the best center is, which I don't believe that there is, I believe that it's Rudy Gobert, and then a sizable gap, and then kind of everybody else. But I, I would say that Hassan Whiteside is about as close to Rudy Gobert as you can get, and so the fact that they were able to to get him. Is going to provide just massive consistency, which, like you said, you know, nothing against Derek Favors because Derek Favors, during the time that he was here, on both sides of that New Orleans term, mm-hmm. he did everything that was asked of him. Yep. Right. You know, he gave his all to this organization, and you know, I mean, he's he's a top ten jazz scorer of all, th- you know, in all time. For the like, he grew up here. Yeah, you can't. You can't discount anything that he's done, but his game is different than Rudy's. Yes, and so when so. he came on, t- like we saw it happen a lot, teams would change the way that they played depending on who was at that five position. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that anymore. They're not going to be able to game plan to say, "Here's how we cut into leads. Here's how we take over the game." It's during these non-Rudy mim- minutes because I think that. As soon as Rudy goes off the floor, Hassan Whiteside comes on, and it's the same strategy. Like, you know, they might have slightly more success, but they're going to have to attack it the same way, and they're going to have to play the same way that they did against Rudy. Yeah, I I think the the defensive continuity with this squad got better with Hassan Whiteside is what we're expecting to be the primary backup. And I'm not going to count out Udoka Azubuki either, because he's shown some good things here. We had the Salt Lake City Summer League wrap up last night, and Doak played pretty well for dude, three he's games a, he's a freak athlete that he's, guy is he's a big body yeah big body that can do things that you wouldn't expect a big body to do yeah I mean he had an alley-oop mm-hmm. I think on night one where it, it looked like the pass was off and he somehow corralled it and threw it down as if it were a perfect pass yep so I mean the dude is incredible yeah but, D- Doak's got more of a sense around the basket in terms of his offensive game I think it, than defense currently yes. but you can you can learn from the best, let's be honest, Rudy Gobert, like that's a great guy to, to learn from because Doak's still got age on his side. So that's right. the, that, that 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 is the good news on that front. Now let's talk a little bit about Rudy Rudy Gay. He has transformed himself. He was a small forward when he came into this league, and, and, uh, and a really good swingman at that. Very good on the perimeter. He has transformed himself in his time down there in uh, San Antonio into a legit legit four. He is a 
is a sweet shooting four-man now, and it fills a hole that we all saw exploited time and time again last season for the Utah Jazz. Mm -hmm. And let me be clear about this, folks. Don't come after me. The Utah Jazz were very good, but anybody who watched the Jazz understands they needed somebody from that four spot or a small ball five in this case because he can play that small ball five if need be yeah, and be able to step out and hit that three. Well, Rudy Gay seems to just be like, there it is. That's the guy to come in and fill it in. You hope that he's getting up there. I think he's 15 seasons in at this point. But if he can come in and be effective for over the next two years, I know it's a player option on the second year. It's actually a pretty savvy pickup. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, really the only player that I feel like kind of even fit that where it's, you know, could play the small ball five, could hit the three, things like The only player that really stood out that I think – naturally kind of fit that position on the Jazz roster last year was Ursan Ilyasova. Yeah. And if you're talking about an upgrade from Ursan Ilyasova to Rudy Gay. It's an upgrade. That's, that's, that's a huge upgrade. Like, that's that's orders of magnitude. Um, and so I think the Jazz have been really smart and really methodical with all of their offseason moves. I've been very impressed, partially because I follow other sports, you know, other professional sports teams that where I put my rooting interest. Sure. Uh, you know, for other leagues that don't make smart off-season moves. And so it's 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 refreshing to be able to look at this organization and go, wow, they actually have a plan and they know what they're doing and they understand what their strengths and their weaknesses are and they're actively working to improve those weaknesses instead of just finding different strengths that don't address those at all. Okay, I was off by one. He's played 16 seasons in the NBA out of UConn. 6'8", 250 pounds. He's going to turn 35 here in just a matter of days, actually 10 days away. So he'll be he'll be 35. But the thing about Rudy Gay is you look at his career numbers, three-point percentage for his career, 35%. But the more important number is 2018-19, he shot a career-high 40.2%, if I'm not mistaken, there. But last season alone in San Antonio, 38.1%. If he can replicate the numbers he had in San Antonio with the Utah Jazz – it's that's going to be a marvelous pickup because it fills just what I felt was a massive hole in the Utah Jazz lineup. And the the, the thing about this is I want to express to everybody is I really like how the Justin Zanuck went about kind of remaking this roster. He didn't make drastic wholesale changes. There were rumors out there of guys like Joe Ingles being shipped out. They ultimately never did that. Uh, they brought Eric Pascal in, who, by the way, uh, is it Pascal or Pascal? I, Regardless, he comes in. He is a very close confidant of uh, Donovan Mitchell, so mm-hmm. that is going to help, I think, in terms of just having that having that connection. And a guy like Pascal still has age on his side, similar to Udoka Azubuki. He's a young player who his rookie year was had some pretty good numbers for Golden State. I know the Golden State was a crap show at that season because right. they had all the injuries they were dealing with, but he showed some good things. So. I like how Justin Zanuck went about remaking this roster without making, like I said, wholesale or drastic changes. Right. It it simply felt like identifying the weaknesses and addressing those. Yeah. Like, you know, it didn't need to be anything crazy to completely, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so the parts that weren't broken, he left alone. And then went out and found the parts that were broken, you know, particularly mm-hmm. that athletic four, you know, a backup five, and said, okay, well... Let's see if this fixes it. Now, really the only question that I have about these acquisitions okay. and these moves, you know, and it, it might not even be an issue at all, but we did see that it took Mike Conley a year in the system to really find his footing, to really learn and understand the system that Quinn Snyder runs. Sure. My question is, are these players going to be similar? You know, has Rudy, go, has Rudy Gay been in the league for so long that he's gotten used to different systems, and you know it's it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, right? It's not impossible. We saw it with Mike Conley. He he learned, he picked it up, and he became excellent. Yeah. You know, is it going to be similar? And now, these guys also aren't expected to run point guard duties. You know, kind of those kinds of things. <laughs> I was right? going to so say it's probably going to be a little bit easier. They're not running than the that. offense, right? Yeah. You know, they're not kind of the primary play caller, but you know this defensive system is something that requires a lot of focus, a lot of attention. Are they going to be able to pick it up and find their place in it and really understand their role? Um, or is it going to take some time? And, you know, ultimately, like, that 
that question to me, it, it is a pretty small question because I do think that, you know, obviously the upside of these acquisitions far outweighs the uncertainty there, uh, you know, but if and when they're able to, to pick up their roles within the system offensively and defensively, the Jazz are going to be dangerous. Yeah, there's no reason to think that the Jazz, because they were, we all know they were close. There's no reason to think that these moves aren't going to make them that much more versatile, that much better as they try and chase, which I, by the way, there are people out there, and I had a really good buddy of mine who's a Laker fan who said, they got Russ, it's over. You guys are all playing for second place. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. where's your spacing there for the yeah. Lakers? Well, and, you know, and I mentioned this last week, you know, when we were talking about Russ to the Lakers, where, sure, they may have become a super team. They also might have made themselves worse. <laughs> well, because there's only one ball on the court. That's for right. one thing. But, I mean, look at Russell Westbrook's history in the league. Dude's a triple-double machine, and yet for all the triple-doubles that he produces, his teams don't win very much. He does chase those triple-doubles, though. Yeah. Come on. Now, is that correlation or is that causation? I don't know. Like We do know that there's a correlation there, but correlation doesn't always equal causation. So are they losing because Russell Westbrook gets all his triple-doubles and he kind of dominates in his play style? I don't know. Maybe it benefits the Lakers to have him. But there is a trend in his history that makes me think eh, the, the Lakers might have hurt their odds. It'll be interesting. I still think that the West is wide open and the Jazz are going to be very much in the mix. Yeah. We all know that Phoenix is going to run it back. Uh, Denver, with that injury to Jamal Murray, they're probably another year out before they really become the dangerous Denver team that we all thought they could be. Well, yeah. It depends on Jamal Murray's recovery. That's, right. that's the big thing. And who knows what's happening with the Clippers. Kawhi's got to have that ACL surgery, and who knows how long it's going to keep him out. Paul George is very good, but we all know that you need Kawhi Leonard on that squad to make them as formidable as they could be. So uh, very interesting times. We meant to get to a second topic here in this first segment, but you know what? We'll get on the other side. How about that? We'll, we'll tease a little bit. Let, let's leave a little tease so that people yes. stay in their cars a minute longer. Yeah, yeah so what we're going to do is we we're also going to talk a little bit about what's going on in fall camp here locally. Obviously, Utah, BYU, Utah State, Weber State, Southern Utah, Dixie State. We have six Division One teams in this state, which is stunning to it's me. Nuts. It's mind-boggling. Uh, Snow College plays at the junior college level. we got a lot of football in this state. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk some college football, everything going on in fall camp, the first couple of days of them getting into drills. And I also, a, a one-on-one conversation I had with Utah senior, is he senior now? I don't even know what the status is I, with most of these guys. Yeah, the last last season and the whole like extended eligibility yeah. has thrown me off. Well, as far let's put it this I way. Would... Utah starting center Nick Ford spoke with me <laughs> one-on-one. I had a great conversation with him. You'll hear that. I was up at Utah Availability on day one. We'll get to all of that coming up next right here on the Saturday Show. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. The general manager for the Utah Jazz, Justin Zanuck. Is it safe to say that you were going to make re-signing Mike Conley a priority? Certainly we value Mike and what he's meant to our team. Obviously, I can't comment on how things will roll out. However, we do have a plan in place. We love him. Each move that you guys see that comes out, whether it's a draft pick, a trade, a signing, I know there's this urge to have like a hot take, but evaluating those in a silo is tough. In a couple weeks, you look back and look at it in its entirety of what we needed to do and what we were able to execute on. I think the bigger picture becomes more clear. That picture is not completed yet. With a few more stages, we have to go here. We have a plan, and hopefully we'll get it done. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. It's the weekend! It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait, can't, can't, can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing great up and down the Wasatch Front. Very smoky day out there, and you can't even see the mountains. That's that's how bad it's been. Like, you just look at it, and it's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not enjoyable. Like, nope. I, I'm starting to understand what, you know, like, my brisket feels like. 
<laughs> nice. You making a brisket right now? Not currently, oh, not okay. not at this second. But like, you know, yeah. I I like to I dabble every now and okay. then. I was actually thinking about doing some, you know, on the way home, picking up some ribs and throwing them on the Traeger. Very nice. Well, I I'm jealous. I I've been using so I've I've got a Traeger. I've also got a Blackstone. I got one of the the okay. grill tops. Man, I've been using that Blackstone a lot recently. Honestly, oh, yeah. <laughs> so far, I've got the Traeger and I've got like kind of the little Weber kettle. Yeah, you know. Oh, you got a, a kettle? Bit, nice. Yeah, kind of one of those things. Just do a little bit of smoking in there, but uh. You know, I want to get one of the offset, you know, like if I could afford an outlaw, I'd go for one of those. But we, we all would. Let yeah, me come right. On. Oh, man. But yeah, I need to I, I want to get kind of one of everything just so it, you know, what am I feeling today? What Mrs. Hatch will probably have my hide if I bring home another yeah, see. cooking instrument. <laughs> my my I don't have that big of a backyard and like. It's already filled up. I've got, I've, I, I, and the funny thing is, I've even got a gas grill back there that I don't even use. So, you know, yeah. I, smart move. I know. You know, you know I, it was the first thing I had. Yeah. Then I graduated. I had the, everybody has to start somewhere. I had the Traeger, and then I, I added the Blackstone about two years ago, and I have some fun. Let's put it that way. So I'm jealous. If you're making ribs tonight, I'm gonna have to stop by and eat some. But hope you all are doing great out there. But we met in the first segment because we call it uh, "What's the big deal?" We usually try to hit the big two topics that we have each week, but Ran out of time talking Utah Jazz, no problem there. But let's talk a little bit about fall camp opening here along the Wasatch Front, Lundy. Uh, Utah started on Wednesday. BYU started on Thursday. They will have, I believe, all of them get 25 practices now in the lead-up to their first game. Utah obviously will open up against Weber State. Jay Hill making the short trek from Ogden to take on the Utes up there. at the. By the way, have you seen the layout for the newly renovated Rice Eccles Stadium? That south end zone looks marvelous. It looks beautiful i've already you know secured some tickets for that open house Very to go cool. check it out because you know i mean man you know i i remember going to games there when i was pretty young sure and just watching how that stadium has transformed over the past was it then rice stadium still not no not quite that okay you know i mean like it wasn't when i was really young okay you know in my earliest days, yeah, prior to the 2002 I've, Olympics. I've heard some stories about old Rice Stadium. And I, I, funny enough, I've been told I attended a game at Rice Stadium before they did the renovations, before the Olympics, obviously, now Rice Eccles Stadium. Uh, there's some interesting stories about old Rice Stadium. But that south end zone, based on what it looks like, that is going to be an absolutely incredible new facility for the Utes. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to see all of that. You know, just how it, I mean, just even from the exterior, driving past, it looks fantastic. The pictures Mm -hmm. from inside the stadium look great. The new turf, I mean, I'm just, I'm really excited about everything. I mean, football's coming. Yeah. That's the good news. It's, I mean, you know, smoke's not the only thing in the air right now. So (laughs) that's a very good point. And uh, the thing about Utah, and we're going to get to an interview with Nick Ford here momentarily, uh, I did earlier this week, is, this team, and Kyle Whittingham said this, and I was as stunned as anybody because I was standing right there in that scrum when he said it. He said this team, the 2021 team, has a really like a feel that's very similar to 2019. Yeah. And if you forgot what 2019 <laughs> was for the Utes, let me remind you, it was an 11-win season, a run to the Pac-12 championship game. And, okay, we get that they lost to Oregon. We get that they lost the bowl game. It can't take away how marvelous that season was for Utah. Right. They ended on two games that I know that a lot of Utah fans feel like it just sucked the oxygen out of the state. Sure. Right? But when you look back, the Utes really were one win away from a playoff appearance. Oh, yeah. They were right there. They were on the doorstep in 2019. Mm-hmm. And to already be back to where they're comparable there, where the only inter, you know season in between was a weird 2020 season where... You, there's really not a lot. It's it's hard to take stuff away from that year because of how weird it was. And yeah. so for the Utes to already be back to that level speaks a lot to the consistency, but also speaks a lot to the talent that they have on the team right now. Yeah, they've done a good job recruiting. There's no doubt about that. So, I, And trust me, Kyle Whittingham, he's not a guy that just kind of blusters and says things to say say things. He, right. he, 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 when he says something that, that significant, especially on day one of fall camp, I was just like, Oh, hi, coach. Like, it, it, was, it was pretty stunning to me. And I think that that should lead to a lot of optimism around Utah, obviously. Now, down in Provo, Kalani Satake, he expressed a lot of optimism as well. And this is the time of year where a lot of that's happening. We all know that. Down in Provo, though, and 
right or wrong, 2020 is going to be judged based on 2021 for the Cougars. And I know that there are a lot of BYU fans out there who say you you have to individually assess seasons on their own. I I'd like to think that's true, but we all know that there is going to be a referendum on how 2020 went for the Cougars based on how 2021 goes. Right. You know, and I agree with you where, you know, I I, I do understand the thinking where people, you know, you got to separate it year by year. I think where that really is the most applicable is in the locker room. The coaches are going to tell the players that, hey, you know, like, I mean, we hear Kyle Whittingham say it all the time. Hey's never in the barn. Sure. Right. Yeah. You're past performance doesn't have anything to do with the present success, right? We have to work and prepare now. But I do think that there is a lot to what you're saying that, you know, 2020 will be either viewed as a real turning point for the program if this year is good, or it'll Mm -hmm. be looked at as a fluke and a flash in the pan if 2021's not good. Yeah, and there's proponents and detractors on both sides of this who are going to be crowing one way or the other. Yeah. We all know that. And the, the thing about BYU, might I just say this, is the fact that they're probably not going 11-1 again this year, 12-1, whatever it ended up being, because the degree of difficulty got that much better. You yeah. have seven Power 5 teams on this year's slate. You didn't play a Power 5 team in 2020. So you can go 8-4 and four this year, let's say the plot an 8-4 and four record, and in my mind, that's probably as good as what they accomplished during the 2020 season, just considering the schedule difficulty got ratcheted up that much. Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, an eight and four season this year for BYU would be great. Yeah, like I mean, well, I, it, it kind of indicates the turn corner hole analogy. Is it's it happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, if they can maintain that, if they can play at a high level, if they can hang in the the power five games that they lose, that's that's a real positive. It shows that the coaching staff is able to maintain consistency even with high turnover. Because BYU did lose a lot of players to the NFL this past year. Five draft picks, seven guys getting free agent deals, 12 in all are currently in camp. Yeah. So it's, you know, if, if BYU can follow that up with an 8-4 and four season, that's a real endorsement on Kalani and what his coaching staff has been able to accomplish there. Yeah, the, the roster building, they will have accomplished something that I'm not even sure Bronco Mendenhall really accomplished, in the, especially in the later stages of Broncos' tenures. There's the the continuity. You have talent that replaces that talent, and you just kind of keep going along. It's what Utah's built. We all know that. You mentioned the fact that they've just kind of, from 2019 to 2021, you graduated a lot of guys from that 2019 squad, and to have turned it right around into 2021, it's pretty impressive. 2021 could show that BYU quietly has gone about that same type of roster-building move that Utah has accomplished. Mm -hmm. Started to build that depth and things like that. You know, and th- this is what BYU needs if they want to be viewed. And, I, I, you know, BYU fans will probably get a little upset at me for saying this. Okay. But BYU— I'm just going to tweet it out right now, so yeah. get going. Let's go. Cool, yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> putting a target right on my back here. <laughs> I understand that the SEC and, you know, a few of these other conferences consider BYU a big, or uh, as a, like a Power 5 caliber opponent, but the fact of the matter is that in the landscape of college football— Outside, outside of the conferences saying they qualify, mm-hmm. nobody really views them that way. They're a very high-end G5 team, sure. if we're being you know, honest in the way that we assess it. However, that doesn't mean that they're locked there and that they're prevented from growing. You know, teams like Boise State, Utah State, UCF, you know, these teams that have had success at the G5 level are kind of locked there unless they get an invite from a bigger school or from a bigger conference, BYU, in their independence, can build their program. I mean, that's what Notre Dame did, right? Mm-hmm. Notre Dame, nobody questions that they're a Power 5 school. Yeah. Well, but they've had, never had Power 5 affiliation. Well, they have Power 5 affiliation. Well, yeah. They, they have, they've got, like, the scheduling alliance with the ACC. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but they also the, – so Jack Swarbrick, their AD, he sits mm-hmm. on the CFP committee. Like, right. Notre Dame – they value their independence over everything else. Right. They legitimately, they gave up access to the top four seeds in the proposed 12-team playoff because they value their independence that highly. Yeah. Well, but my point is, though, that, like, yeah, they're, they're, they have that power five representation. Sure. Yeah. But they built that on their own through independence. Correct, yeah. And BYU, if they're continuing to build that depth and continuing to recruit and they continue to have that success, that shows that they are 
you know, they're they're following the Notre Dame model some mm-hmm. what sixty to eighty years after the fact, but you know, it shows that they are progressing. Uh, if it, if they fall back, then it's well, okay, they're still in the in the realm of G five. If yeah. they don't have a successful season this year, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about what BYU's got. There's there and for good or for bad, yeah. <laughs> and you know, so I do want to make it clear that while I am saying you know BYU currently is a high-level, high-end G5 team. They're not locked there. And a, a successful season this year pushes them closer to that legitimate P5, you know, well, talent ranking, that, you know, consideration by the rest of the college football world. I was going to say... Fans, teams, pundits, it's gonna legi- everything. It'll legitimize BYU in many people's yes. eyes. Be like, okay, yeah, okay, you had a pretty good season and you followed it up. Okay, so you may have some staying power here. Yeah. That'll be the... If they can continue to build, like, because I think they're on the right trajectory based off of 2020 alone, you know, sure. like, and we've seen it building. 2020 didn't come out of nowhere. You know, they built towards it. They got there. I think that they need to follow it up if they expect to stay there. Yeah, I I don't think any BYU fan listening to us would disagree with you on that. And yeah. If you do, let us know. We'd love to hear from you guys at 247Lundy at Jacob C. Hatch. Jeff, I cannot remember your Twitter handle for the life of me. So what is it one more time? It's... Jeffafa underscore BC. Okay, so spell that out for our li- for our listeners. J E F F F A F A underscore BC. Okay, so Jeff Fafa underscore BC. Got it. All right. So if you want to weigh in with us, I'm at Jacob C Hatch. I'd love to hear from you guys. You also can tweet at the station at Zone Sports Net. Let us know your thoughts on anything we talk about today. But let's get to it. I promised it. I had a one-on-one conversation with Utah starting center Nick Ford. Great dude, by the way. Did some really cool Great things dude. for the foster community last weekend. If you did not see that, just go check out social media. Made food, I think, for 100 families. Something like that, yeah. Absolutely incredible. But I had a great conversation with him earlier this week after Utah football practice, the first practice of the season. So here you go. Here's Nick Ford with myself. Nick, how does it feel to have no mask, just kind of be back, I guess, to a quote-unquote normal? Um, it's fun, you know, having everyone around the building. Uh, just like two days ago, they opened up the cafeteria and we all went up there and we we're kind of like, whoa, this is, this is weird, but like weird in a good way. So, I mean, we're all having fun. Um, the energy is definitely there. Everyone's having a good time. So it's a blessing to be back. What's the feeling around this team right now as you guys, it's obviously just day one, but what's the feeling around the team currently? Um, there's a lot of physical, physicality. They, uh, we were only in helmets today, but everyone was kind of being a little rough and we had to, you know, tempo it down a little bit, but, uh. Me personally, I, I feel like it's it's a reminiscence of the 19 team at minimal. Why why is that? Uh, just the talent and the mindset. I mean, it was you know it was hard during the COVID year and all that. Um, you know, not playing, maybe playing, training for a long time, and everything up in the air. And then sadly with Ty passing and everything, and uh, there's just a lot of fire under our belly right now. And you know, me and a couple other people who could have went to the league came back to you know what the purpose. So we all understand that there's a there's a one common goal between us and what we got to do to get there. And this is all understood from the extra work off the field to, you know, just listening, locking in while you're on the field and in the meetings. Got two questions based off your answer. Though. We'll start with this one, though. But what brought you back? Uh, a bunch of things. Uh, one of the one of the major things was the talent that was coming back. I mean, th- there was a lot of potential to a lot of potential. I don't even want to say the word potential, but there, there's a lot of talent on this team. You know what I mean? To uh, go and take it all and be the first team in you know school history to go and win the Pac-12 championship, hopefully get to the playoffs and all that. Um, and another thing was just to improve my stock. I mean, I had a pretty good grade, but you know it was kind of all-encompassing that if I came back and improved my stock as well, especially playing center. So, I mean, at first I did it for the team, but at the same time I kind of selfishly did it for myself. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's not selfish, but it is at the same time. So, yeah, a combination of both. That works. What does it mean? What does Ty mean to this team? Obviously an unimaginable loss to lose him when you guys lost him. But what does he mean to this team? Uh, it means everything. I mean, we got the highlights playing of him upstairs. Um, his locker, I'm in the same locker pod as him. I see his jersey and helmet every day and the picture of him. And, I mean, he was the type of kid to always be on the field and be dead tired and 
I remember me and Sim Moala would be having to hold him up in the huddle and stuff. So it's like when you get dead tired and, you know, for sometimes, you know, camp gets hard. Some people might question, you know, if they really want to play football and all that. But at the same time, you know, you can sit there and think the tires like, you know, he would he would give everything to be here right now. So it's not even a question that you got to go out there and do everything for him, you know, because he doesn't have the opportunity. You're one of these leaders on this offensive line coming back. What do you want to see from them? I guess I know that for you guys, when the pads go on, it's when you guys really, I think, start to show what you guys can do. But what do you want to see from them? Um, I want to play like a defensive line. I don't, I don't, you feel me? I, I was a defensive lineman coming in. Um, I want to be nasty, right? I want to, I want to see aggression, you know. It's a control chaos is what I want to see. Um, you know, there may be penalties and whatnot there. You know, that's how, just how football is, especially when it gets aggressive. But I really want to see just a uh, very aggressive mindset, you know, not taking no BS. Um, you know, whether it's smack talking, putting people on the ground, you know, whatever it is you got to do to make that make that boy feel you. You know what I mean? We're going to whoever's across from us. It's going to be it's going to be a long hour, no matter who you are. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much. Appreciate you. There you go. Nick Ford. He wants to play offensive line like a defensive lineman. That is, that's just, that's not something you hear very often because I feel like offensive and defensive linemen have very distinct personalities, right? Like you can see somebody and recognize it's like, okay, they're an offensive or they're, they're, they're a football player. They play on one of the lines without them telling you, you know, you can tell just by going up and talking to them, you can usually find out, okay, yeah. This guy's an O lineman. <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing. I've had uh, I've had offensive linemen tell me that playing offensive line is the cerebral position. Mm-hmm. You're a thinker, whereas a defensive lineman, they're just the guys who put their head down and just kind of go after it. Yeah. Okay. Those are labels and stereotypes right. that exist. It's a, it's a little bit, you know, kind of oversimplified. Sure, but a guy like Nick Ford. He's as cerebral a guy as I've ever met because dude gets after it every time he's out there on the field. And anybody who's watched Utah play has seen big number 55 just absolutely mauling dudes. So if he wants to play with the defensive lineman mindset, just kind of nasty, he said talk some trash, Mm -hmm. make it miserable for the opposing defensive line, that's exactly what you should want. Yeah. So, and, you know, another thing that stood out to me was I feel like in the past, you know, Utah players have always talked about we have higher goals, we have higher aspirations, things like that. But I don't know that anybody has ever been so direct in we're gunning for the Pac-12 championship. We want to be the first program or first team in program history to win this. Yeah. You know, he said that outright, and I don't know that I've ever heard it so explicitly stated. Usually they'll mention it in a way that you know that's what they're talking about, but they don't outright say it. (laughs) Not very often. And so he he did this time, and uh, you know it just it really caught me off guard. Yeah, so I I but really I like it. yeah you and me both. I really enjoy talking with Nick. He is one of the best interviews on that squat, and there's a lot of good guys who got some great thoughts. But Nick's right up there among the best. All right, so there you go. Big thank you to Nick Ford for taking the time uh, to join us. I that po- that interview also went on the podcast I do with Brian Brown, one of our old compatriots, Locked On Utes. Uh, you can download wherever you get your podcast, just like this one, by the way. The Saturday show was podcasted. We put it up there every Saturday, so you can listen to it on demand. So we got you guys covered. It's in every podcast provider out there. I don't need to take the time to run through all of them if you have a podcast app of choice just search us out the zone sports network saturday show all right on the other side our weekly staple of technical fouls coming up in the one o'clock hour you're gonna hear from utah jazz general manager justin zanuck on the moves the utah jazz made so plenty to get to still ahead right here on the saturday show this is dj and pk Josh Newman, Utes beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. As far as it stands right now, how are you handicapping this particular race between these two guys with Bruin rising at quarterback? I think it's going to be very hard for Rising to win the job, only because he's coming off major surgery to his throwing shoulder. Kyle saying 95%. He told me at Pac-12 Media Day that Rising was fully cleared, no limitations, but his arm strength is not fully back. So read between the lines, try to glean something from what Kyle said there. I think it's going to be hard for Rising to win the job. That is what I'm thinking going into camp. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show as we round out the noon hour here on the Zone Sports Network. We get to our weekly staple of technical fouls, rewarding people who have behaved badly or just did stupid things, plain and simple. Lundy, where are we going to go in your technical foul this week? So mine, like the action warranting the technical foul happened a number of months ago, but it's something that has you know kind of resurfaced a little bit. Okay. And it's it's something that, me personally, I'm just still so frustrated with as a fan that I'm going to call a technical foul on it anytime I I can. Um, reports coming out of Bengals training camp in Cincinnati uh, this week that the the throw game is really kind of struggling because the pass rush is so dominant. It's getting through the O line. You know, it's just. It's kind of a mess. The okay. offense is basically what we're seeing is the same issues that their offense had last season that led to Joe Burrow's horrible knee injury. All right. And so technical foul once again on the Cincinnati Bengals for looking at their offense and saying, hmm, well, our quarterback doesn't have any time to throw. So we obviously think that the fix here is drafting Jamar Chase. Instead of Penny Sewell. Because, like, I get it. There's five guys on the O-line. One guy is not going to fix every person's problem. But one guy is going to fix a good amount of problems because Penny Sewell is a generational talent on the O-line. Sure looks that way. Right? Like, I mean, watching him in college, I honestly, and maybe it's recency bias, I don't know, but I really, truly don't think I have ever seen a better O-lineman at the college level. There have been some really good ones. I can think of guys like Orlando Pace, uh, but you're right. There are not many who have been as dominant or as just phenomenal as he was. I mean, watching that 2019 Pac-12 championship game, Oregon versus Utah, Mm -hmm. I remember seeing him and just going, man, he makes Utah's defensive line look bad. And that's that's really saying, you know, gonna say. with that reputation that Utah's defensive line has, for them to look bad, not like it didn't look like they were having a bad game. It looked like they weren't good players. Yeah. Because he was just that much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that he was able to do that is remarkable. And he was available at number five, and they went, well, our offensive line isn't very good. So I'll tell you what, let's draft a receiver. That should fix everything. Jamar Chase is really good. He is. He's great. Yeah. Nothing against Jamar Chase. My, I don't have a beef with him. I understand that he was the best receiver in the draft. Sure. You know, he's Joe Burrow's old teammate. They've got the chemistry. But you're diagnosing. Well, you're trying to you're trying to fix a problem by a, by treating the wrong symptom. Right. If that makes sense. I broke my arm, so you're giving me an ankle brace. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. It does nothing for me. Right. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter who you're trying to throw the ball to if your quarterback is constantly on the ground. It, it's so technical foul on, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals of who I am a fan, unfortunately, <laughs> for, you know, once again, just proving that they have no idea what they're doing, that it was right there for you. They want to continue to admire themselves in mediocrity. It just, I mean, maybe Joe Burrow said something that, you know, offended somebody in the front office. And so they're, you know, intent on having him die. Okay. But I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, uh, I'm frustrated with it. And so technical foul, at, you know, anytime, this is probably going to come up a few more times throughout football season as I, you know, who would have thought yeah. that drafting a receiver didn't fix your O-line problems? I'm just Who could have seen it coming? All right. Well, it'll be interesting. It'll be another fun year in, in Cincinnati, it sounds like. <laughs> it always is. 
All right, I got one here from the Olympics. Um, a German coach has been thrown out of the Olympics for appearing to punch a horse who was refusing to jump or trot during the modern pentathlon. That's the first sentence in this story. Like, just full-on, like, is this, like, full-on blazing saddles, like, just going up and <laughs> punching the horse in the face? Like, I guess. Uh, so, uh, it's modern pentathlon. So these athletes, they are given 20 minutes to bond with the horse. They've never ridden this part of the event where they have to go jump over different things and whatnot. Well, this horse refused to really do anything, just being a stick in the mud. Uh, but modern pentathlon's governing body, the UIPM, which I have no clue what that stands for, said it reviewed video footage that appeared that showed that, uh, coach Kim Reisner, who competed at the 2004 Olympics in this same event, striking the horse with her fist. She had also been uh, urging her athlete, Annika Schlue, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, to, quote, really hit, unquote, the horse while she struggled to control Saint Boy during the show jumping round of Friday's women's event. So, yes, it was Blazing Saddles. Just go up and just deck it. I mean, you know, you can lead a horse to something it should jump over, but... You can't make it jump, I guess, you know, to right. adapt a phrase yeah. that, I don't know. So the, and it says the quote, the UIMPM, UIPM executive board has given, and apparently in this sport, it's called a black card instead of red card in hmm. soccer, to the Germany team coach Kim Reisner, uh, disqualifying her from the remainder of the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. So, remember to self, don't punch animals. That's just a bad idea, but especially don't do it when you're at the Olympics. Right. You know, I mean. Look, like, look, and the thing is, you know, and I, I can see this being part of the rules, but, you know, you look at horse racing, you look at these kinds of things, the horses are considered the athletes. Uh-huh. But they don't get the medals. They don't get the medals. Um, but, you know, I mean, the horses, horses are athletes. Yeah. They're incredible athletes. And so this is a case of a coach punching an athlete. Bad deal. Like, it's never going to go over well. Yep. Bad. Especially when the athlete is that much bigger and stronger than you. Yep, bad, bad deal. So, technical foul on Kim Reisner, uh, modern pentathlon coach for the German delegation. All right, so there you go. That's technical fouls for this week. On the other side, we'll come back. We'll jump back into some jazz talk. You'll hear from Justin Zanuck, Utah Jazz general manager. He kind of explains what his thought process was on how the Jazz went about building this roster, the new additions of both Rudy Gay as well as uh, Hassan Whiteside. We'll get to all of that next right here on the Saturday show on the Zone Sports Network.